I'm James Ingram, and welcome to Make My Logo Bigger, where we speak with creatives in the ad business. Today, we are speaking with Stephen Flynn. Stephen is the co-founder and creative director of Wonder. Stephen, thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. I know you're busy. Definitely. means a lot. Um, so getting right into this, why, uh, why Wonder? Why did you start your own ad agency? What, what was the catalyst behind making that move? The simplest answer, I would say, is giving myself the, uh, the opportunities to do the work that I wanted to. And th- that doesn't mean, you know, just uh, there's certain types of projects I want to do. It's just the, the freedom to be able to, to push behind the ideas that, that I believe in and not have to kind of back down due to someone else's insecurities or their relationships with a client or anything like that. So I, I had a few years experience, not that much experience working at agencies and the two that I did work at, that was kind of a, a common thread that I came there and all I, you know, I kind of fell in love with advertising and all I wanted to do was just be immersed in it and do like the great work that I was seeing in communication arts and applied arts and these annuals. And every time I attempted to kind of push in that direction, there was always resistance as if there was just like too many other factors like budget or clients preferences and and things like that, that just people didn't have that same desire that I did. They had other agendas. And now as a, as a business owner, I understand those, but I, I don't think I would ever let those things get in the way of doing great work. So Mike Postma and myself, we met working at previous agency and we kind of realized we had complementary skills. We worked on a few projects together. And the first thing we did together after I left that agency was actually launch a startup. It was a tech startup called Tap. It was an app and it had a retail product and everything as a part of it. So we did that whole project. And at that point, Mike was actually winding down his hours at the agency and transitioning out as well. So that project was something that uh, we really poured ourselves into together. And we we did all of the, the design of the app, the development development, the marketing. We did marketing campaigns for this. The question we kept getting from people was, uh, who did this? Who did your packaging? Who did your app? And the, the kind of light bulb went off for us when we continued to just keep answering, well, you know, we did it. And we just kind of realized like, hey, I guess we are good at what we're doing and we should maybe think to start a little outfit of our own. And we we gave it a name, threw up a website and the rest is history. Now that's a great story. I know Mike intended to be here and he can't because it's the ad business. Yep. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah. Yeah, so Mike at the time when uh when I met him at the agency, he was a technical creative director. So his background is he's a, a developer at heart, but kind of a, a developer turned advertising creative, still with a, a deep influence in the tech side of things. But my background is uh just kind of more the traditional art director, designer. So we did have a, a pretty good mesh of of skill sets there. And uh that's the the foundation that we built the agency on that we were able to, as two people, do a lot of things, like a lot of actual actual production and creating things where we didn't have to outsource everything. So we we had a, a close hand and still have a very close hand in all the work that we do from the idea all the way to do getting it out in the market and making headlines in the press and stuff. So we've learned a lot over the years having to kind of figure it out as agency owners, but uh, that's how we kind of have done it, just having those complementary skill sets. Yeah, that I find that so interesting. You know, those, those partnerships, they have to work like it's almost like a marriage, like you really have to be on the same page because you're in stressful situations. There's a lot of high level decisions being made and you need to know that that other person has got your back and they're also on the, you know, the same philosophy. Yeah, exactly. 
You know, I was thinking about this last night and there's certain art directors when you get an email from them or a call, you kind of sit up in your chair and know that you got to bring your A game. And I put you on that list and 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 wonder on that list too, because we always get excited when we hear from you guys, because we know you know exactly what you want, how you want it. Uh, and it's always a challenge for us to do that. Yeah, I appreciate that, that we are on that list. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, we've had some fun making some stuff in the past. And even back when, before we started Wonder, I think we yeah. did a few fun little projects together. Like yeah. the, the one that's coming to mind for me is the... Uh, those ice awards posters where it was like the the call for entries posters that are saying you know good enough isn't good enough and playing on the the classic volkswagen ad and that's right kind of stuff that was with trampoline yeah those were fun to shoot they were what actually made you decide to, to become a designer and work in advertising honestly the the designer part i just uh Growing up, my parents got a Mac when I was, I want to say, like in grade nine of high school. And that computer comes like preloaded with, you know, certain creative softwares on it, like iMovie and stuff like that. And I had a little point and shoot camera. I just started creating things. I was like, oh, like you can edit videos on here. I'm out in the backyard jumping on the trampoline and like just making stuff. And from there, I just start tinkering and making things and realizing, you know, you can design posters and and all this kind of stuff. And this was in like early high school. At my high school, there was a a course called ComTech is what they called it. And that course essentially was just like giving people a broad knowledge of like, you could make little flash animations as part of that course. You could learn Photoshop, you can learn to edit video. That was just my favorite course out of all courses. The teacher of that course kind of steers you to let you know that you could be a designer or you could be a you know web designer, all this, this kind of stuff. So I, I went on to Durham College in Ontario to multimedia design program, which basically took everything that I was learning in that ComTech high school program and just took it to the next level where you're spending you know, more time learning Illustrator and video editing and all this kind of stuff. Deeper dive. It's a deeper dive. It's like a three-year program. And even at that stage, I I just, you never really make the link of the exact career. Like you're learning these, these skills. You're like, I'm, I know how to do Illustrator. I can make a logo, but you never really are like, I'm going to be working at an ad agency. It's like, you don't know, you don't know about what careers are available. You're just are hoping that you can take that one skill set and if someone needs a logo, I can do it. And it's hard to make that link between what is the best career fit, but having a a very broad knowledge at the end of that program, it definitely put me in a a good place to have my fingers in a lot of things, which is something that an art director should. Yeah. I find uh, the trade of being an art director, creative director, comes with so much knowledge. You know, I, I'm guys like you can direct photo shoots, you can direct video shoots, you can design any manner of things that clients might need. It's just the skill That's set the, I find is the so kind of double edged sword is I'm not really, uh, aside from ideas and general just concepting, I wouldn't say I'm like a master of, like, I wouldn't be someone you'd come to if you wanted like the most crafted design. Because once you get to a certain level, it's hard to, to stay on top of those trends and things that are changing within even just one silo of, you know, those disciplines. Yeah. You have to be okay with having that broad knowledge. If you're someone who has to be the best at every kind of aspect of what you do, it would probably be frustrating because you'd feel like you're you're falling behind. But I've kind of found a, a sweet spot in the the conceptual side of things where I'm really satisfied when an idea is big and it can garner attention or achieve an objective or, or that kind of thing. So yeah. 
That's really interesting. No, you're right. What I find is guys like you, gals like you, they can, they understand how all this stuff works, but they tend to be really good at one or two things, but they have an understanding of all the different facets of advertising. And there are many. The name of the game this day and age is that you never know really which facet you're going to want to go down for any given project. You're kind of playing in this, we'll tackle any objective and anything that comes at us. And one day the solution very well be that you need to partner with like one of the most talented illustrators to do some custom graphic or it's a photographer because that's just what the project needs. And it is good to have that base knowledge so you don't come in there not even knowing how to approach it. But then it's always beneficial to the project to have a someone who specializes in specifically that discipline. Otherwise, across the board, if you try to do everything yourself, it, it might eventually just kind of start to look a little flat. Yeah. And I, I think the you, you bring up a really good point. I think it's really important to recognize where your skill set ends and you need to get someone else that yeah. is better at it. Yeah. Both for the, the quality of the work and what we're realizing now, we've hired a couple more people and just uh, it's something you have to do for your own time efficiency. Yes. There's that too. When we were early days, it, it kind of, you know, the budgets are thin, but you got to be a little more nimble and we have video equipment. We got, you know, the know-how to, yeah. to get some stuff out the door, but you get a little further down the road and then you start to realize that like- Not the best use of your time. This is not the best use of my yeah. time and yeah. it's not coming out as good as it could if we outsource it to someone who's just devoted to, to that discipline. On your website, you talk about loving being the underdog. Can you speak to that a little bit? Kind of something that's very similar to that, uh, you know, the classic saying of under promise, over deliver. It's a it's a very comfortable spot to be in, especially for creatives. You know, we're a little insecure and you just want to be alone with your work and have opportunity to to craft it. And I guess when there's a lot of pressure and expectation, whether it's the budget's really big, the work has to be up there too, whatever it is, if it's a big brand, like, of course, the work better be up to the caliber, that kind of thing. I, I think that pressure would really weigh on you. Whereas there's just something about like the the way we did work in the early days is like we would be working on a client like a Nova Scotia webcams, but like deep down, we want to do the best work in North America, even you know, up there in the world and we want to be able to one day win a lion, that kind of thing. So it's it's just a more comfortable, humble space to to create from when you know that that would be a crazy like home run if that happened. But if it doesn't, like we're still going to blow the socks off of yeah. this client or this budget that we're putting this piece of work together for. And as we've grown over the years, you know, we're, we're still small. So I think we're always that underdog mentality, but it's becoming less and less. It's like we're kind of, we've kind of arrived uh, yeah. at the caliber of work as the other agencies. So it's, it's less of that. But I think no matter what, we'll always raise the bar a little higher to, to be underdogs maybe in a new a new category. Yeah, I like that. Keep raising the bar. Yeah, exactly. On your website, again, you list your approach as customers over clients, prioritizing the customer's wants over the client's wants. Did you have any, have you had any pushback on that philosophy? Not, not that I can remember. No, no big pushback. Obviously there's feedback that you have to kind of stand your ground on, but we've never ran into anyone has really died on that hill of saying, I want this and not even providing us with a a justifiable reason other than I'm the client and I want it. Like we, we try to never have relationships where that could even be a, a conversation that happens. Everything, whether we provide our reasoning on something or they have feedback, we uh, would hope there's a, an explanation in addition to that. Never with just this kind of like objective, like 
I think it should go that way because of this. And you got to explain it and you got to have honest relationships with those clients to say like from day one, this is what we're passionate about and it's achieving your objectives. Is There's no agenda on our end to be like sneakily trying to get stuff out the door that's going to be something only because we can pat our backs on it. Like if it didn't achieve what they're trying to do, that doesn't really get us excited and it, it doesn't make the grounds for a, a good relationship. So if from day one, you tell someone like, listen, all we want to do is get you more customers, get you more donations, get you like whatever that key objective is they're trying to achieve. I think they're going to trust you more and they're going to see that you genuinely do want to make that happen. Whereas I think when that rough client feedback rears its head is when there's not really a, a genuine relationship there. And maybe they are feeling like the person who's doing the work maybe has their their own agenda where they think they know what's best, but it, it seems like they just want to cater the work to their own style or taste or something like that. You set the groundwork early when with clients. Yeah. I mean, we don't have like a, a big early meeting or deck that we say, listen, like we try to make our work embody that. And and the fact that you read that on our website, it's intentionally there to to prime people because we right. don't we don't want them to come to us for work having not understood kind of what we're about. And that's it's helped us uh, along the way get people coming to us. It's like you you should know what we do, what type of work we do. You you shouldn't be surprised if you came here and our ideas were out there or whatever might kind of uh, put you out of your comfort zone because the, our response would be like, well what did you expect? Have you seen our our work, you know what I mean? That's that's what we do yeah. is kind of push the boundaries. And so it's good to, for anyone who I guess who's facing that, make sure that whether it's your portfolio or any way that you're putting yourself out there, don't have the, the stuff that you're like genuinely wanting to do. Don't have that hidden and then think that you're going to somehow you know, sneak it on them like like a bait and switch kind of thing where you you won the account with vanilla safe work, but then you're hoping to pivot them. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how you have internal standards of only pitching good ideas. That part of the website where we talk about only pitching good ideas, it's really about a bit of that primer for someone who's had an experience with a previous agency. And there's a, a very classic thing in advertising where, you know, people are going into a pitch meeting and typically you have like somewhere around the the realm of three ideas that you're going to pitch the client. And a lot of people are like, we want them to have this idea. We know we want this idea to be picked. We hate this idea. It's only in there because we couldn't come up with another. And uh, we told them they're going to have three ideas. And then there's like this other ugly cousin one. And, and then they're trying to steer the meeting in a way where they're like, we got to get them to pick this idea. Like that is a, a very fragile and terrible situation to be in. So we we put that out there. We say like, we're not going to bring these, you know, throwaway ideas for the sake of a better meeting. Filler. Yeah. We're going to only bring what we genuinely think is like the top straight of strategic work or creative work that's going to kind of move the needle on your objective. We say if there's only one good idea that comes out of our longer creative session, then we're only going to bring one because that's the kind of boldest way we can explain the the methodology. But it's very rare that we only do have one idea, you know, not to like toot our own horn, but we've we've kind of really perfected our kind of ideation process to the point where it is very rare that we wouldn't have at least two to three ideas in a deck that are right. kind of like what we would call home runs, I yeah. guess. So you remove that uh, fear 
Yeah. I, I hear that a lot of times, or I have heard that a lot of times, creative directors and art directors about pitching ideas and, you know, the ugly cousin is in there and invariably someone will pick it. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're if you're crafting your deck based on like anticipated feedback, you're like, we need to have a, a big one that's like really creative and then we need to have a safe one and then we need to have like a medium one. And it's like, yeah. it's pretty much just like any human psychology, they're going to pick the medium one nine times out of 10 because they're like, well, this one a little too boring. This one's, you know, they're just going to go for that middle road, but just try to avoid any variance. Try to have three that are like equal caliber. And seems logical to me that you're not disappointed if they pick any of them. And then it'll just come back to that whole, like, have you ever encountered the, the client feedback? Like, or do you really build those good relations from the start? Like that is another touch point where when you're pitching that work, they're going to feel that you're excited about it. They're yeah. going to like know yeah. that you're passionate about bringing this to life and you really think it's going to achieve their goal. Whereas like if someone passes the the PowerPoint deck to me and it's my turn to present and I'm like, oh God, I don't, I really don't want to yeah. execute this idea. I'm going to come across that way. And, you know, people are going to pick up on that. Yeah, no, it's true. I never thought about that. There is psychology involved in that, right? So you guys, as, as young as you are in your in your business model, recently won gold at the National Advertising Challenge for your work on the concept Six Day, which encourages locals to explore their own city. Can you tell us about that experience? Mike and I, we you know realized we had complementary skill sets and we just started kind of tinkering on stuff. That is one of the, the first things we did together. We saw this, this competition out of Toronto where the, some of the biggest brands, whether it be like Kraft Mac and Cheese or Jell-O or you know, any kind of big nationals, they're putting these briefs where they pay to have a brief in the competition and then creatives from all across the country get to submit their ideas to the brief. So what the the client gets out of it is a bunch of strategic thinking from some of the hopefully top creatives in the country. And what the the people submitting get to do is, you know, just have the chance to flex that muscle and yeah. continue to ideate on a big brand. Maybe if you never had the opportunity to get a, a brief that big, very cool. you get to kind of work on it. So back in 2017, not to kind of derail this whole question, we actually won gold for a a campaign we did on Canada Post Brief. And the prize back then, pre-pandemic, they used to send you to Cannes. So Mike and I, we won gold and they, two flights and, you know, delegate passes, accommodations. We got to go to Cannes and that was like right around the time we had just like given ourselves the the name Wonder and we just, we didn't even have a website up at that point. And we were just like kids in a candy store, just like watching like the the biggest work and case films. And it was like such good timing for us to, to be launching the agency and just getting this almost like big download of like, this is the bar, the best work in the world. And you get to see it all firsthand. And you just, it just kind of like really opened our eyes to be like, wow, we got to find a way to, to be doing work like that. It doesn't matter if we're small. It doesn't matter if we're in Atlantic Canada. We just wanted to, to come back from that trip and do something big. Could you get such great reviews early on must've been Fantastic. I mean, talk about wind in your sails, right? Oh yeah, that too. And I totally didn't get back to the answer. So yeah, fast forward 2022 competition is when we uh, we, we did the campaign for the city of Toronto. The brief right. for that one was to, they simply were hitting a point where they're about to reopen Toronto and they wanted to engage people to get out and explore their own city after being in intense lockdown for almost two years. 
the concept we came up with was just a, a play on that way that people write out, uh, you know, the six yeah. with six IX and we called it a six day. So the, the key insight we had there was that we were kind of thinking like, what would prevent someone from going out and exploring their own backyard or city and, you know, calling it a bit of a, a staycation. And, and the main thing we kept coming back to was that probably just time because everyone's busy with work. And then when it does become time that they're like, all right, I got to take a vacation. People are very hesitant to burn even a single vacation day on something that isn't like on an island, you know, on a beach somewhere yeah. or something. So they, they kind of like- Protect it. They protect the vacation days until there's actually something real to use it for. And in this scenario, it's kind of still in that fragile state where, you know, pandemic and everything. So we thought it would be a, a pretty cool initiative for the city of Toronto to say, you know, let's try to get a movement going where companies are actually providing their employees just one day a year to specifically go explore their city and let's call it a six day, you know, kind of play on yeah. sick day and everything. So that was that was kind of the simple insight and idea. And then we, we fleshed that out with some ads. You received reviews for your Squid Games themed campaign for relief. Can you talk to us about that a bit? Essentially, we you've seen the show Squid Game. The, the whole show is kind of centered around uh, these 456 people who are in, in deep debt and they get invited to this really weird game through, you know, receiving this business card. They get like a, a card that just gets slipped under their door. They call a phone number on it and they're invited to come play in this squid game where they can have the opportunity to win like, I don't know, I think it's like 90 million billion won or something like that. So the whole show is literally kind of around this concept of like, these people are so in debt that they're willing to play in this this game where the, the consequence if they don't win is they actually are just going to get shot or die in some other way. We took that idea and actually used it for a, a startup that is helping people get out of debt. And what we did is just simply took that kind of iconic card design, like the cards that people receive in the show. We just changed what was on the back of it. Instead of having a phone number, we uh, just had a simple message that said, you know, there's a better way to get out of debt. The card itself is like super recognizable. If you've seen the show, it was super popular. It's like brown cardstock with these a triangle, a circle, yeah. and a square kind of stamped onto it. And if you saw one of those laying around, like you would actually have this almost like visceral reaction, like, yeah. oh, like that's one of the cards from the show because they were very intense about it in the show. So so what happened here is we had this idea and it was just like we need to find the right fit for someone who helps people get out of debt. And we thought that might be a debt consolidation or something of that nature. But then we came across this startup that recently launched and had like several million dollars of funding out in uh, the States and just kind of shot, bounced the idea off them. And it was, you know, the, the CEO of the company got back very quickly and was like, love it. Let's make it happen. No way. Fully wow. on board. And, and from there, I want to say between having that idea on the couch at home while like watching Squid Game, probably seven days later, we had street teams in Miami and uh, New York, and we had overnighted 10,000 of these cards to them to distribute in like ominous places. And then we had a press release go out. It was in like Ad Week and Ad Age and all these uh, big publications, ABC News. and So cool. Yeah, it was a good a example of how you can bring an idea to life. It's the, the other side, how I said there's one of two ways. Like this is like sometimes ideas happen and you just have to find the right fit. And what happened with this one is we ended up, you know, it was very successful. It blew up. It, it was like making the rounds in a ton of press and everyone kind of really liked it. And uh, for the 
person who we met, the CEO of this company, it was a great experience for them too. They were like, wow, like this company identified us as someone who was helping people with debt. They reached out and now we have a relationship with them and we're working on a, another brief for them this year. They actually just raised 15 million more investment for their startup and we're, we're helping them uh, with a talent recruiting brief to, yeah. to staff up. Amazing. You know, it kind of gets me thinking about, sounds like you go through this too and I do, like it's hard to shut it off. You know what we do? Like, do you find that you're always consciously or unconsciously kind of churning or that filter for for ideas and connective points between ideas and potential clients? Oh, in the early days of starting a wonder, it was probably just, you know, 24 seven. Constant. And, and we have this uh, thing we call the, the wonder bank. So we have this, like have a whole board that is ideas in, in the wonder bank. And these are the ones like this one that would, if it came up and you thought it was strong enough, we just we store it yeah. and kind of catalog it all in categories because one day you are going to have a genuine client brief and then you have this like kind of ever building resource to say like, well, let's check the wonder bank and see if there's yeah. anything in here from over the years. Because yeah, you can't just kind of let those go uh, undocumented. If you genuinely thought in the, in the moment, like, oh, that's, that'd be a great idea. Like put it somewhere because yeah. one day you might want to make it happen, but yeah, very similar to musicians, songwriters in that way, and writers in general. You know, they're forever writing down notes in the middle of the night on a notepad beside the bed sort of thing. At least for me, it's two different approaches because when it's like, we've got this brief, there's a timeline ticking on when we have to pitch them concepts. That is like a, a different process. I'm like head down, like headphones on, looking at like anything and everything that's going to trigger and spark something on the internet. Like it's just a, a crazy output session of just like how many ideas can I come up with in yeah. this session? Yeah. Whereas the, the other approach is just kind of like, you're just living life. You might be out at the movies, you might see yeah. something in passing and then then you have one idea. Yeah. It's very different ways to arrive at good ideas, but both are can result in like huge huge work. Yeah. I mean, you just sort of illustrated that with that one idea. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, the idea is one thing I will say the execution is like, Oh yes. The, the whole other part of the, the iceberg that you're not seeing there. Cause from the moment of having the idea was that savagely trying to find and connect with someone who would be a good fit with it while, and you know how these things go. Yeah. In the moment, I didn't know that the popularity of Squid Game was going to bleed out over a month long. Yeah. Like you think like this could be gone tomorrow. People yeah. will be talking about something else. So it was like, we got to find someone quick. And then our, our traffic manager, Kobe, is like coming up with like, how can we actually have cards in Miami and New York and distributed in such a short period of time? And and at the same time, Mike has got the cards and he's like finding suitable areas around the city that could pass for a New York or a Miami right. so that our press release that we send out while these is ready to go. And uh, so that's all happening at once. And then the cards land, they're distributed yeah. and we kind of hit go. And so it's a lot of... Uh, you know, in the same way earlier when I said you got to kind of be passionate about your ideas when you're pitching them to the client, I think it's the same situation when you're working with your own team because getting people to like rally behind something like that and do their best work and yeah. finding out the ways of how we're going to distribute them, getting great photos for a press kit, like they, ha they have to believe in the idea too and get yes. excited about it. So 
it's important to just be excited about your, your own work and kind of wear it on your sleeve. No, you mentioned that, you know, about the execution. And I always feel that pressure, you know, when, when someone like you comes to us and says, here's, here's the idea, the client bought it. Basically now it's on you to add value to this Do not let the execution ruin the idea. I mean, that's kind of what I love about this is that pressure to really take that idea and add value to it. Yeah. I guess before we leave this topic, yeah. something I'll say is that people get really hung up on the, I don't even know if this would fall in the category of the politics of advertising or anything, but there is a lot of agencies and things that happens with the stakes of awards in play. There has been stuff that's never ran or it was pretended to run. It was like a you know, the, the dog walkers as they call them. Yeah. And, you know, we genuinely would never do this because it, it just doesn't benefit anyone, but it happens. And that's why I think this format of like, just coming up with ideas, finding someone to run it, like it's kind of been tainted with, uh, you know, or even painted with that, that brush. And I don't think it makes the work any less legitimate. It benefited someone. And the best analogy I could use is you are just like this craftsman deck builder. And you all you want to do is like build great decks. And you had the lumber in your yard and you had it and you built this like amazing deck that could support, you know, a hundred people and it's got staircases and everything. Like if anyone came to see it or like some, you know, woodsman magazine wanted to cover it, like no one could say you didn't build that deck. Like it's right there. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. And when we come up with an idea like this and we find a client and next thing you know, like it's making headlines in ad age, the cards are distributed, like it's work, it's a, it exists. Yes. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter how it came to be. And I think people are, if they're, you know, kind of stopping themselves from approaching work that way, sometimes they're, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot from ha potentially having big ideas because they're saying, well, I have to wait only for the briefs that land on my desk before I can create things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a reverse way of working but not really. I mean, in, in a small way, we started to do that a little bit with clients where we have a good relationship with them. We might go to them and say, look, we have an idea for some shots for you. What do you think? Yeah. And then the feedback's been great. Yeah. I think someone came to you with this idea, but a, a project that falls in a similar space is the, I always love these, these photos from back in the day that you did for the Barely's yeah. House, House of Blues and Ribs With situation. Anthony. Yeah. That kind of stuff. It's like no one can look at those posters and say like they're going to have a, a reaction, go like yes. those are funny or that's hilarious. Like that looks great. Like whatever. Like it exists. It's something like if someone went on and submitted it to like categories of like, you know, billboards and out of home, like if it were places where maybe it didn't live, like that's another story. But you can't say that the original posters were Beck or like, you know no. what I mean? Because like it's a small bar or restaurant that. Yeah maybe doesn't hire agencies. It's it's still just fun, great work to put yeah. out in the world. And I think that's just a, a stigma that needs to be cleared up a bit that don't don't stifle people's creativity just because you're, you know, sour that they might win an award over it. Like who cares? As long as someone's genuinely not trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and say like, you know, we ran this 30 second spot at the Super Bowl. And it yeah. clearly didn't like that's another another story in my opinion. Exactly, and and if you were to go to the folks at Barely's and ask them how that campaign worked out for them, they'd say it was great. Yeah, exactly. To this day, even if all they did was do a, a throwback Thursday and and posted it, it's gonna m make a connection yeah. with yeah. with people who are like, oh, that's funny. That's a for anyone who's listening. I know we're just describing this poster. Basically, yes. it was a yes, good. Go ahead. A, a house of blues and ribs, yes. which is 
already Fairly's. you might think is a, a unique juxtaposition, but the yep. posters just had these, uh, I would call them like burly guys who wear plaid and, you know, a bit of a scruff on their face. And they just had sauce from the, the ribs aspect of the business on their face. And then just like the most dramatic teared yeah. crying face from the blues that yeah. they would be listening to at Barely's and still, a, still makes me chuckle. A, a great series of photos. Thank you. Oh, a uh, quick question just for those who may don't not know what, what exactly does a traffic manager do? A traffic manager, it's almost like a, an air traffic controller. Essentially you got projects coming and going and you need to know who's who they're assigned to, the budgets, and just someone who's kind of got this like God's view of everything like an air traffic controller and is making sure that no balls are getting dropped. I wanted to ask you this. Do you feel like the ad business has changed much since you started? Yeah, I think in general, we're just at a, at a point where I've seen the big push towards digital. And I think people yeah. very quickly understood that they're just going like, oh, they're changing the, the shape of the ads now. They're smaller, they're skinnier, they're long. And like you just adapt creative to, to live there. And then social media is kind of the next arm of that being like, oh, people are just like following brands on social media. How do we like continue to get them to share our stuff or follow it? Like those were kind of the, the two biggest pushes, but now we're kind of a part of this push where a lot of advertising and brands is, is just trying to do something that is genuinely talkable. And it doesn't take on the, the shape of like a billboard or a TV ad or even a a social ad. It's just like, what is this like big activation we could do to to make things talkable for our brand in a genuine way? Because people are starting to realize that the skip ad button exists. People are scrolling. There's ad blockers. Like it is very hard to get people's attention. So you have to almost respect their attention more and provide them with more value. Like do something that is so outlandish that they're going to have a hard time ignoring it because it's going to be in the press or it's going to be out in the streets or it's going to, you know, find another way into into their life. That's really interesting, that evolution. But, you know, the tenant about the old uh, adage about advertising is that there's a relationship between the viewer and the builder. And you have an obligation to present something that's entertaining or impactful to the viewer. Yeah. And, you know, when you break that relationship, you really don't have the right to ask for anything. You know what I mean? That that, that That's never going to change, I don't think. Yeah, there's a, a great quote, and I'm probably going to butcher it by uh, Lee Clow. He's the art director who kind of worked on all the Apple work from the beginning. Anyways, the, the quote is something along the lines of like, if you feel the need to, to put the logo or the client logo in like the first five seconds of the spot, then you're in the wrong business. Like, yeah. like if you can't hold someone's attention. Yeah for 30 seconds before letting them know what you're about, then then maybe you're not cut out to, to be telling stories or, or working in this business. And I think that's that's very true because there is a kind of naivety or a naivete in yeah. that, that regard that people think on a billboard, they're like, if we can cram more info oh, on this thing or the logo is bigger, they, they just assume that it's somehow going to get like... <sighs> like sucked in and, you know, digested by someone. Whereas that's not the case. Like you have to be very respectful of their, not just their time, but also like their intellect. You have to reward them with humor or wit or something that is going to actually make them feel something. And then remember something. And then at the very last, all you want to do is just go like, and that connection of the feeling you just had was provided by this brand. It's almost like you're you're sponsoring a, an emotion or a feeling. What advice do you have for young creatives just starting out? My biggest piece of advice would be regardless of 
whether you have clients or you have an agency that's hired you or an internship, regardless of any of that, just find a way to uh, do the closest thing to the work that you wish you were doing and continue to, to nudge yourself in that way so that your, your portfolio is representative of the work that you hope to do or that you're capable of doing. Because a lot of people take on this mindset of like, well, here's my, here's my book. It's the three ads that we were issued as an assignment in class. Like we kind of had to do these ones. This was the high level brief or whatever. Oh, I did this for my buddy's coffee shop. He needed it. So I helped him with it. Like kind of circling back to that thing I, I said for when you're in an agency doing real work, like don't just wait for the opportunities that come to you to say like, well, this is my portfolio. It's in, inclusive of the stuff that I've been asked to do by teachers and friends or whatever. Like just, just grab a brand. Doesn't matter whether it's Apple or Nike and just like start doing work for them and make it up and yeah. come up with something, you know, and yeah. and you'll be able to to show these big agencies like, hey, this person is able to think at the level that we need them to. They're, like that initiative will will help them get there. And uh, yeah, just just try to make that work happen that you, you know you want to do. What do you find the most challenging part of your job now that you own your own agency? Just finding the time, really. I guess in the early days, it was just time was uh, a little more easy to come by. We would get a project come that would come through the door and it was early days. So we didn't have this like roster of clients and moving parts that we had to consistently tend to. And you would just fully go head down on something and craft it and it'd be all you're doing. And, and in certain regards, budget would go out the window and you'd be like, weird. We just need to make this the best thing it can be. And then fast forward five years and we still have that mentality of we need this to be the best thing you, it can be. But when you multiply that mentality across like 10 projects that are happening in a, the span of a few months, then you really start to burn out a bit when you're yeah. working that late. It's so interesting. And I've seen it, you know, many times you've really, really strong creative people that start out doing this they have really impactful work right out of the gate and that and but then somehow the size of the agency starts to take over you know you you get you land some whales and becomes very comfortable and somehow the the philosophy you had when you started drifts a little bit Having been a business owner now for about five years, it's still a very noble thing to do to make sure that your employees and their families are all supported financially and that they're fed and and you can't knock anyone for being like, ah, you guys, you guys sold out. You used to do good work or whatever. I guess at the end of the day, there's business decisions that have to be made and hopefully not always at the the sacrifice of good work, but nothing to knock anyone for. But no, at a, at a certain at point, if it doesn't make the owners or the the people who are working at the agency happy, then it won't be su sustainable long term yeah. because people will start moving to other agencies and stuff. So it's about finding that that balance. You can't have built your reputation on being the most creative, and that's how you got people to come work for you. That's how you clients to to hire you, and and then all of a sudden you kind of transition into this vanilla space where you're only focused on money. I don't think that would be a, a good situation, but you have to you have to find the right process and system that affords you the ability to do great work and doesn't stress you crazy because you're sacrificing the other end, you know? Almost like you have to find a way to put a protective covering around that creative process, protect it at all costs, right? Because you know, at the end of the day, you're an artist in that way where your gift is, among other things, that you come up with great ideas. So you need to protect that. Yeah, exactly. Because if you uh, 
it would slowly happen if you thought yeah, you could just I've seen it if you could just not hone your craft and then eventually you're like oh, i've got this gift i can do yeah. it i don't care if i'm running on one hour sleep and uh, the deadlines in an hour i'll come up with something like eventually your work is gonna yep. reflect the amount of energy and attention you're giving to your, your craft i guess yeah, it's inevitable. You know, what do you what do you guys consider when you're thinking about hiring photographers or video production companies? What is what goes into that process when you you know when you're able to sort of consider which supplier you would go to? I would say the the best things I would say that would influence us to hire someone would be craft slash attention to detail. I'd put those in the same yeah same bucket. And then I don't even know how to describe this one, but it's almost just like a a gets it factor, right? Because some of the moments when you're wanting to outsource something and bring someone in on a project, we all wish there was like time to be like, yeah, come in for a day. We'll walk you through the whole, like, it's often not the case. It's the reason you're outsourcing it is because you're slammed with other stuff and you just want to kind of have someone that you trust, that you're comfortable with. You want someone on the other end is just like, got it. Like, and they... They get it. There's not like a bullet list of 10 questions coming back like, hey, we could do this any number of ways. What do you think about this? Or that? And now you have like stuff you have to attend to, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I can understand that those relationships, they're not going to be on the first time you work with someone, but that would be our, our hope is that anyone we're building those relationships with or working with that we could just be like, they got it. Like we know they got it. And yeah, I mean, we, we go through the same thing, but I think, you know, our responsibility being one of those suppliers is exactly that. When you, when you call and you come with an idea, immediately my, my thinking is how do I add value to this? Because you've gotten this idea to this point. Now you need to go to the market, so to speak, to have somebody realize that idea. I think it's incumbent upon us to take that idea and add value to it. So you come back to us, you look good in front of your client. You know what I mean? That's a healthy working relationship, I think. Well, the the questions are all coming my way. So I'm going to I'm gonna ask you, what do you look for on the flip side uh, of that relationship when yeah. an agency is reaching out? Like what's the ideal Love it. outreach? Again, you know, a certain pedigree. Like I know when I hear from you or hear from certain art directors, creative directors in this market or other places, I know their pedigree. I know that, wow, this is going to be, we need to have our A game and we're going to have to be detailed on how we approach this. You know, you can't call this stuff in. These are, I, I think that's what what's most exciting about the business for us is people hand us these great ideas and they say, now your part is to photograph this and how are you going to take this idea? Because it's not just a photograph and it's not just a video. It's communicating an idea to get some action. This, and this may or may not mean anything to you, but do you think clients these days overall are getting good value from ad agencies? Like, are they getting the most value? I guess I would say where they're not getting value is if like, if there's zero level of pushback when direction is being set from the client side, if the agency is not even taking one, you know, stand to say, well, we think this, if they're just going nope, let's just put our heads down, get it out the door. Then I would say, no, the agency's not getting enough value there. They at least, even though they're coming with what they think is best, they re they at least deserve the right to be told an option that is different, mm -hmm. I guess. And, and so in that regard, I would say, no, they're not getting uh, as much value at certain agencies because I think there's a lot of agencies that, like we discussed before, they would just say, hey, the budget's not changing. Let's get it out the door. And yeah, that kind of thing. Whereas there's agencies like ours, you know, not to make this 
a self promo moment that would would say this is not something we're going to be thrilled about putting our name on. It's not going to help the client as much as we think it could. We would take that opportunity to let them know. But you have to, as an agency, and a, especially if you're a business owner, find the right hills to die on. Yeah, not even die on, but even approach like any sort of resistance because there's certain things where it's like, if you're just at this like Steve Jobs level, like maniacal craft where you're like, we sweat the details, like all the way down to like a button color. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's not healthy and that's not going to help you create a business that can thrive, I guess. But like, if you're talking about the full like strategic direction at like a higher level, then yeah, like die on those hills and and make sure that the the direction is something that's going to be successful. But you have to identify those moments. And I'll, I'll tell you something. When I was in to visit you guys, that kind of resonated with me that Mike said, when I asked that question, when you get pushback from clients on ideas, and he simply said, how uh, is this change going to make the idea better? Yeah, exactly. To the client. And if they can't answer that, then you, know, you put it on them. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier, that just that open dialogue to always respectfully have to dis- mm-hmm. deliver any feedback, whether we want to change something or they want to change something. It should be coming with an explanation and some sort of justification that is like rooted in research or mm. something you read or something you've done before and you have the the data to support it kind of thing, you know, to say, trust me, that's going to work better this way because of X, Y, and Z. It's a soft challenge, right? Back to the client. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think clients are coming with the budgets. They're the, yeah. they're paying, they're yes. the paying customer if, if, if it were an analogy, but I don't think that alone affords them to the right to just like fully dictate everything. I think they pay you, but at the end of the day, it should be a team scenario where we're both trying to achieve the same goals, yeah. you know, it's not yeah. like a, like we're not against you because no. you know what I mean? That's what I love so much about that question. It's engaging and we're, we're offering constructive creativity here for your project. We're just asking you to point out if we change this direction, how does that make it better? Fair question. It is a fair question. And, and oftentimes it'll result in potentially a, a third direction yeah. that wasn't the current and isn't what they suggested, but they go, well, maybe this one's not right. You're right. It doesn't make it better, but we know we have to change it for X, Y, Z. And now you have a- That's healthy. A more healthy conversation exactly. developing around like, let's put our heads together and make you happy and make sure- it aligns what we what we were hired to do. And that's is, a team approach. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think the the healthiest thing a client, an agency or a client and any company relationship can have is just from the beginning, just having a very open dialogue. Just saying, you know, if you ever want to bounce something off me or you ever want to give me a call if something that you know what I mean? Like just knowing that they're open to the talk and it's not this like serious there should be space in between these presentations and key milestones to just kind of say, hey, we were thinking and like, I know we already got such and such approved, but like it just dawned on us, like, what if we did this? It would make it better. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. If people feel they have to bite their tongues on stuff like that, because it's like, no, they are like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's all serious. Then it's like, you're just, uh, you know, depriving them of having a, a better end product because of you don't feel like the the connection or opportunity to talk it out is there. Yeah. And in the same way, I guess that they're, they may challenge your idea. They, you know, well, your idea, how is it going to help our product? They're going to come back to you and challenge the idea that you presented. You need to have complete understanding of that idea. What's your most memorable job? That could be good memory, bad memory, most memorable. Project wise. Yeah. 
when we came back from that first trip to to Cannes after mm-hmm. winning the the competition there, the first project we got approached for was from Nova Scotia webcams. Very simple brief. It was kind of like he has these seventy five live webcams across Nova Scotia of just like some of them are of like White Point Beach Resort and like some are on top of the West and overlooking the waterfront. Just live cameras for people to check in on anything really. It could be weather, maybe they're homesick. He said his audience is, you know, becoming a bit stagnant and they're an older audience that would tune into these things. So we need to do something fresh to kind of get more people tuning into these more webcams. eyes on it. Yeah these webcams and, and let them know that it's a thing. We were just like so fired up of, from what we experienced in camera. Like we got to do something awesome that's like going to be talked about by everyone kind of thing. And we came up with this bizarre, but like very simple idea called Donaire Cam. Yeah. And we just took something that, you know, Halifax and Nova Scotians love, Donaires, and we just merged it with his service of webcams. And we partnered with the King of Donaire guys to set up this camera that all it was was one of his live webcams pointing at their spinning Donaire meat. Yeah. 24 seven. And <laughs> we made a little micro, like branded microsite to launch it. And I don't know, the reason it's so memorable because it just kind of like jump started the agency where it was one of these, like, I don't know if the stars just aligned or what happened. It was like the right time, right place. But that thing just like fully blew up, blew up. It was on like Rick Mercer report. They, they found a way to incorporate it into this hour as 22 minutes. Like they actually had Sean Majumner like come to the restaurant and go on the webcam. Yeah. It was like every press publication was covering it. And it was just one of those moments where like we, after watching all those case films in Cannes, it was like showing like a Google or a Burger King campaign. And then at the end, they always have all these like Buzzfeed, like all the press logos that the campaign, the coverage the campaign got. And we, on our first project after getting back, like we had one of these where like when we get to make the case film and it almost felt like damn like is that what you got to do you just got to yeah. kind of yeah. put stuff out there and i don't know looking back on it it was just so fun and uh, even to this day we've had big ideas we've never had something to this day that has blown up quite like yeah like that one was like did and it's just really cool kind of your root yeah exactly that was kind of like us getting our our beak wet on the the yeah. format of like okay so you can just do things that are inherently shareable and you know then the news will talk about them and this and yeah that is really uh interesting and, and absolutely true and that's like the power of your own convictions and really believing in the idea and knowing that if you execute it properly it will work you know we've touched on this a little bit and you guys have had some success with awards but what do they mean to you uh, it's kind of just validation of where the your current caliber of work is. Yeah, I guess the the awards has just become this standard thing in the industry, and the, the way we look at it as there's like you know Can or Clio's is like the highest possible bar your work could could be, and until you kind of reach that level, there's there's room for improvement, and you should continue to to push yourself to to do better work and not just for the the sake of having that that shiny trophy but your work that you're doing for for paying clients is just going to be better. Yeah. We've kind of baked the awards and that whole, you know, submission process into our our agency and it and it really keeps us honest about the work that we're doing and it allows us to make sure that we're checking ourselves to say like yeah. are we staying at the same caliber or improving and Yeah. And we have noticed year over year, like we started out, like won a few ice awards and then we won a bunch of ice awards and then yeah. we were at like the national shows and, and you're climbing up from the bronze to so like, you know yeah. what I mean? And and you can see the the work getting better and 
by having that be part of the process, it is some coal in the engine to keep you going. Yeah, I think I think it keeps that whole um, the question of quality and achieving it front and center. You know, if you have a bar, if that the highest awards in the land or the bar, and you're trying to every time live up to that or give it your all, it keeps you on track, keeps you, rem- reminds you why you're doing it. Yeah. Since we started the agency and, and took that trip to Cannes, we genuinely have this like very audacious goal and North Star of like, we need to win a lion. That's our, our goal. And you know, we're, it's not like we spend every day at the agency concocting a, a plan to, to do it, but we just, we keep that in our mind as the, the yeah. North Star because it's, it's something that's going to push us to continue to grow. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Another byproduct of the, the awards that really helps us is in order to even submit to the awards, you have to package up and like succinctly tell the story of what was your, your campaign in a nice way. And that generally means like a case film that is all buttoned up and it tells here's what the brief was, the objective, and then this was the insight, the concept, here's how it went, like you demonstrated. And here's the execution. Here's the results. Yes. And if award show deadlines were not looming over us, I think, you know, work would, we would get caught up in the work and a lot of that stuff would sit on the shelf and one day we might go, eh, we should... We should put some stuff on the website, but baking this into our our process keeps us motivated to... Like another client. Yeah, exactly. Because this is stuff that's very important to to business development. If you don't put your work on your website or put it in its best light, how are you going to ever explain to someone what you do or prove to them that you've you've done it well in and the it, past. There's, there's an element of bravery there too. It's, you know, you do the work for the client, they're happy. And then you give it to the peers at the, the upper echelon and these award shows and say, what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Is this worthy? Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah. no better feeling, you know, it really isn't. I mean, I've had that happen multiple times over the years when you get that email that you've yeah. won, you know, in applied arts or communicate. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it keeps you going for sure. It does. Short snappers here. Oh boy, lightning round. Lightning round. Favorite album of all time. There's an album. It's called Live in LA by John Mayer. Favorite spot to vacation. Wouldn't call it a vacation the times we've been there, but our trips to Cannes have been really great. Favorite age. Mid-20s, maybe 25 or something. 25. Yeah. That's a good one. Favorite piece of technology. The phone. Like who can argue with the I know, phone? It's, it's incredible. Like, All right. Last question. Who is your inspiration? 21, 22 year old art director in me would have yeah. been like, it's Lee Clow. He's the right. best art director in the world. And I don't know, anyone who's kind of committed to, you know, pushing themselves to be yes. at like the peak of their career, whether that's like a, you know, Jerry Seinfeld or Michael Jordan, like in any of these disciplines, that's like super respectful. I like people who don't like have like one moment and then rest on their laurels they like keep working they keep going at it yeah. and, and never settle yeah those are people that inspire me yeah. that's awesome well listen uh this has been so great to hear what you have to say on these it's been great great chatting thanks for having me and for uh anyone who is listening through this and they're like a squid game what or like a donor cam this yeah. like if you want to see any of the the work you can check out we have those case films like i mentioned on wonder.ca w-u-n-d-e-r and uh yeah let us know what you think 
just to close out, I want to say thank you to Stephen for uh, for joining us. It's been great. And uh, I've learned a lot. Hopefully uh, some of our listeners will too. Thanks for having me. We'll, we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. We really love hearing these stories from our creative community. So stay tuned as we will be inviting more folks to come and chat with us. This podcast has been brought to you by Jive Photographic Productions. From branding images to droning to podcasts, we are your one-stop shop for multimedia. Want to learn more? Check out jivephotographic.com. Until next time, keep it creative.